Welcome to season five of Coffee Pods, a coffee break length look at the Christian healing ministry. During Advent, we're taking a reflective journey in exploring how we can heal our image of God, self and others. So, whether you're a gingerbread latte, a spiced cappuccino or an Americano, there's something here for you. So grab your coffee mug, put in your earbuds and let's go. Welcome to the fourth of the fifth series of Coffee Pods and we're looking at healing our image and today we're looking at a healing our image of others. Occasionally people do comment that they love the church. It's just the people I cannot stand. And you could substitute church for the name of any other institution, I'm sure, but it does kind of miss the point. You cannot really love an institution, but not those for whom it exists. In fact, the Apostle John points out the very same thing in one of his letters to first century Christians. In 1 John 4 verse 20, he writes, Whoever claims to love God, yet hates a brother or sister, is a liar. For whoever does not love their brother and sister whom they have seen, cannot love God whom they have not seen. The problem is that since the beginning of time, we found out, sometimes to our dismay, that to be human is to be in relationship. And to be in relationship is to be in community. And to be in community is to encounter difference. To encounter difference is to experience tension. And to experience tension is to entertain the possibility of conflict with others. Reading through the Bible, you cannot help but notice that as well as a lot of God's grace, there is also a lot of human grime as well. But relationship is part of who God is, and so it's part of the life DNA that we have too. And it is interesting that Jesus knew about relationship. In fact, among his first actions on starting his ministry, he drew a team together, and not just to work for him, but to be with him. Jesus clearly valued the twelve, even Judas, but more of him later. It's also recorded in the biblical story that Jesus experiences the dynamics of relational tension with his mother and brothers, as well as with the twelve. Talking of which, when I think of the twelve, I'm tempted to ask, how on earth, literally, was this ever supposed to work? I mean, just look at them. Matthew chapter 10, verse 1 and 2 records it like this. And calling his twelve disciples to him, Jesus gave them authority over unclean spirits so that they could drive them out and heal every disease and sickness. So far, so good. But now, the tricky part. These are the names of the twelve apostles. First, Simon called Peter and his brother Andrew. James, or Jacob as it was originally written, son of Zebedee and his brother John. 
Philip and Bartholomew. Now, he's probably Nathaniel from John chapter 1, verse 45. Thomas and Matthew, the tax collector, the collaborator with the Romans. James, the son of Alphaeus and Thaddeus. Simon the Zealot, or actually Simon the Patriot, as you could put it, and the Patriot Party were known as the Dagger Party, which tells you a little bit about him. And Judas Iscariot, who was from Judea when the rest of them were from Galilee. And the history reveals that he was either a locksmith or and perhaps a thief, but he was the one who betrayed Jesus. So, Look at the ethnic and cultural mix. Look at the personality types and the values that they would hold. And look at their histories. And like me, genuinely wonder, how was this ever going to work? And I do wonder if Jesus deliberately paired them up at times like this, just to help them learn important lessons about themselves and others for the sake of the future of the kingdom of God. But the essential thing is that they were united around Jesus, what he was and what he'd come to do. They were not trying to find points of agreement among themselves because Jesus introduces them to a kingdom economy in terms of relationships. He's saying, by all means, acknowledge difference, but also accept that it is secondary to who Christ is among them. Paul writes to the Philippian church in chapter 2, and he says, Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves. And that's exactly what Jesus is bringing the twelve to. Our problem is that we often measure the reality of others by how much they match up to our own expectations and value system, and how much they accommodate our rights and our needs. In fact, it's the church leader Roger Foster who used to regularly remind us that the kingdom of God is not about rights, but about responsibilities, a valuable and ongoing lesson for us all, even now. We ask about others are they acceptable to me when the question would be better phrased as, are they accepted by God? It is also something that the Apostle Paul had to frequently challenge. Look at how much of his letters deal not simply with correct belief, but with appropriate behaviour towards others within the kingdom and outside of it. In 1 Corinthians chapter 12, where he is addressing the issue of the gifts and ministry of the Holy Spirit, he also has to insert clear instructions about the relational dysfunction that is taking place in the church, to which he has already made reference at the beginning of his second letter to them. That's what we call 1 Corinthians, because the first letter is lost to history. He reminds them about being the body of Christ and not just individual faith cells, this relational element being crucial to Christian discipleship. 
He says, Now about spiritual gifts, brothers and sisters, I do not want you to be uninformed. He goes on and says there are different kinds of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are different ministries, but the same Lord. There are different ways of working, but the same God works all things in all people. And he says, Now to each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. But then he goes on to say, The body is a unit, and though composed of many parts... And, and although its parts are many, they all form one body, and so it is with Christ. But then he comes down to the relational nub of it. He says, if the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would make it any the less part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. And he says, if the whole body were an eye, where would be the sense of hearing? And if the whole body were, the, were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? And of course, that argument says basically this, because I'm not who you are, I don't count. He then goes on to say, the eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you, nor can the head say to the feet, I do not need you. And actually, the argument here is that it says, because you're not like me, you do not count. And the first almost says it's impossible for even God to bring any blessing into your life through me. Whereas the second says it is impossible even for God to bring any blessing into my life through you. But then he ends with some very clear life wisdom. But God has composed the body and given greater honour to the parts that lacked it, so that there should be no division in the body, but that its members should have mutual concern for one another. Now, there is no denying that relationships can be a challenge, but Paul does give us a little insight into how it might operate in his now third letter to this very same church. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 16 and 17, he writes this. He says, So from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though once we regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. And here it is. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ... He is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. And Paul says to us in our relationships with others, he says, seek out the new creation in people. Don't focus on the old. And in a sense, if you like, it's regarding people as we would regard Jesus and working on from there. Now, yes, we are faced at times with difficult situations with others. So here are some thoughts that just might be helpful to remember. For example, when people question your stance on something, they are sometimes trying to work out what they would or should do. They're uncertain because not everything is personal, even though it might sound like it. Sometimes in those difficult moments, people feel they are illegitimate, they have no voice, and so they fight back. Some people feel powerless and feel the need to control. 
Others may want influence, but cannot handle the responsibility that would come with it. And so there is tension and conflict. Yes, insecurity or pride or both can affect the way some people come across and the way that they often challenge us or speak. But sometimes they're often afraid of what might be coming that they might not be prepared for, which is why they try and control the conversation and circumstances, because they lack the confidence and tools to bring an appropriate challenge to you. So they come across awkwardly or critically. And sometimes they perceive there is an imbalance in the relationship or the status that they feel they have because they see you as better than they see themselves. And so what happens is you get a reaction out of tension and out of difference. So when we're faced with that, what is the thing that we can do? Well, I found one of the issues is I have a choice. I can either react to what people are doing or I can choose to live in a different spirit when it happens. If you like, try grace, not grime. And there is a great um, blessing for the peacemakers. And peacemakers is not just about avoiding relational tension and conflict. It's about bringing others into the light in the midst of it. It is important in healing our image of others that we do establish appropriate boundaries for yourself, um, what you're happy to engage with and what you're not happy to engage with. And yes, sometimes we do gently have to establish boundaries with others. I've had to say to people um, in conversation when they got um, you know, fairly uh, worked up to say, OK, let's stop now. Why don't you just go and take a few minutes to reflect and we'll talk afterwards. Because I felt that the boundary was being crossed and it was becoming personal. It wasn't about the issue that we were talking about. You can learn to confront appropriately, but don't accuse. You know, it's much better to say, um, look, can I be honest? I felt hurt by that, not you hurt me. You're communicating the same journey, but the language is very different. And one helpful thing is learn to ask the right questions. The questions I ask is, what is it that you're really concerned about here? And why has this become difficult for you? Or one other question I've used in conflict situations is to say, what is it that you feel you're losing in this? And what you find is you get more light than heat. And so we come to the end now. Well, here it is. Just like you, people are a work in progress. Even if they present as the finished article, they're not. So do not judge people by one snapshot moment. Secondly, just like you, people are seldom binary. All this or all that. In fact, 
It's the very complexity that we carry that is part of being made in the image of God. So do not be surprised or disappointed if people do not always meet your expectations or your needs fully. It's helpful to remember that they are not God. Thirdly, just like you, people are often just doing their best, but it comes across unsuccessfully, but they genuinely are trying to do their best. Unlike us, God does not stress over the petty stuff, so we don't have to either. And the final one is this, God does not find difficult people difficult. He loves them in the way he loves his one and only son, and of course in the way that he loves you too. So allow God to work in others, as well as allowing God to work in your own life. So let's pray, and if you have found these podcasts helpful, you can help others find them by giving us a like on iTunes. But let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you that you know us so well. Thank you that as Jesus drew the twelve together, he knew what he was getting into, and he knew what he was getting into when he drew us to him as well. Thank you, Father, that you don't ever get disillusioned with us because you don't begin with any illusions in the first place. You know us so well. And so, Father, it gives us confidence to come to you and say, Lord, help me in my own life. Live in a healthy and healed way in relationship with other people. And help me to be a means of healing and grace to others, that they too might know the extravagant love of God. And, Father, I ask Place your healing hand upon each of us today and heal us in body, mind and spirit. And this we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this week's Coffee Pod. We hope that you have found it enriching and inspiring. For information on our events, how to get involved and how to support ACORN, check out www.acorn.com acornchristian.org. See you next week and don't forget, have a very Merry Christmas.